Welcome, everybody, to another Film Friday here on the Dunkin' with Dom pod. I'm your host once again, Dominic Chapone, uh, joined again by an, a lovely guest indeed, Nardine. This is your third appearance on the pod, your second Film Friday. So welcome back to the pod. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's good to be back. All right. And the movie we're covering today, obviously, is Marriage Story, released in 2019. Uh, I personally got to see it uh, recently. I've rewatched it a couple of times, so I've, I've got all my notes prepared as well. And you've obviously rewatched it yourself. Uh, we can start with the basic question. Obviously, a very emotional movie, a very, um, very well-written movie and well-directed movie. What were some of your general thoughts and early takeaways after uh, re- uh, revisiting this movie? I absolutely loved the movie and I think the thing that I really liked the most about it is how realistic it is because nobody is painted as the bad guy or the good guy. There's no villain. There's no hero. Um, I mean, you could argue that Henry, the little kid, is the hero of the movie. But I mean, even then, um, it's none of all of the characters are very flawed people, but they're also just normal people trying to get through a difficult situation. And I think that's what I really liked about the movie is that it was so realistic and it really didn't paint anyone as the bad guy. It was just kind of highlighting a, a struggle that these two people were going through. You bring up two excellent points there. The first of which I never thought of, and that's that there's this whole notion of, like, there isn't really a protagonist. It's just more like a story. And it's really rare for a movie to do that because usually your typical movie has a main protagonist, you know, a second or third character. And there is still that, that kind of structure, but it seems like this story, everybody's got their own part. It's They're all intertwined. It's the same narrative. It's telling the story about family, which is I think is a big deal for this movie. So even though they're separating, starting a new life, it is still one family going through what they're going through in the movie. And then the other point that you bring up, which is super obviously the most important thing, is the realism of it. I mean, divorce movies have been common historically time and time again. We'll get into some of those that I did the research on. But these sorts of things always happen in society. I mean, like divorce rates in America at their highest, you know, in decades this is a thing that it's a big thing in America right now. And it's like a, a really true story on the people involved in this movie, but also just uh, in our current society as well. So it, it kind of is a mainstream topic. Yeah, for sure. I think the movie, I mean, um, for, for people who did have gone through that, watching that movie and seeing themselves represented on screen like that and having it be so realistic, I think is a really cool thing for a movie to do because, um, like we were saying before, it's not like there's like somebody who's good and somebody who's bad. It's all of the characters are flawed and they're just going through it as a family. And I think to see that and to really try to understand all of the points of view and perspectives, um, is just really nice. And the other thing you hinted hinted at it from a real uh, realism perspective is that this movie does a good job explaining how the whole process for divorce works, but also doing some elements that people don't really talk about. So there's obviously like you know the stereotypes of you know like the two of everything, you know the two Halloweens, the two houses, li- two living situations, blah blah blah. But then there's also the things that people don't consider, like the legal side of it, which is like hugely explained in this movie the whole who gets what the percentages in terms of you know the income and if you win certain things how does that work financially covering certain costs for lawyers and for settlements and all that stuff and as somebody who's experienced that i mean that part of it definitely is an important factor and there's tons more that this movie covers they kind of do a good job uh, providing a good sense of like what it's like to be in that situation, especially as you put it with the kid Henry, where you're kind of in the middle of this and he's neglecting all of this. They, this is a situation where it's not even his fault, but when you're a young kid, the last thing you're worried about is, uh, you know, the legal process of what your parents are going through or like this whole notion of like a schedule of going back and forth on certain weeks. You don't really see that. So you kind of see that innocence from his perspective, but a real world issue, obviously that this movie likes to cover. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there really is no protagonist in the movie, but if you were going to have to name one, it would definitely be Henry. Um, because like you said, it's it's really through like a very innocent point of view on his end because he doesn't he clearly doesn't understand what's what's really going on. He's just trying to manage the situation. Um, and I think they do a really good job of portraying him as being a kid and still wanting to do all of those things that kids want to do, but also, you know, being in this really complicated situation with his parents splitting up and everything. Oh, uh, we can start getting into the details of this movie. Obviously, the big factor in this movie is the whole thing regarding the divorce of the two main characters for Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. This ranks up there as one of the best divorce movies or like, you know, those types of movies ever. I mean, there's a history historically, especially in the 70s and 80s, uh, of, of course, given that time period with... Uh, with the Nixon era and Watergate, you know, people having a lack of sense for government and the questions about different family ideals. So there's a wide range of movies that come out around that time. You got Kramer versus Kramer with Meryl Streep. She ends up winning an Oscar for that award as a supporting actor. You got Shoot the Moon in 1982, Unmarried Woman, and also in 1978, like Kramer versus Kramer. So this is kind of building on that legacy historically of these types of movies where it's a big deal, especially with divorce. And again, we're seeing how this... This kind of topic is going underrated in society, but it's kind of come bringing back on the up and up since the 70s and 80s, where that was also a mainstream topic indeed. I want to move on to the actors and actresses for this movie, because obviously the stars of the show are Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Their chemistry in this movie, yet again, is incredible, and it definitely showcases their talents for playing roles that they're not usually... Uh, we didn't think they were built for, I thought, because obviously they're, you know, superheroes and they're, you know, characters in Star Wars and they're all, all these other things. But you wouldn't see them as, you know, ordinary people like we do in this movie. Yeah, I think their chemistry was absolutely amazing. And you can really tell that they had a relationship that couldn't be described in words, um, even though they did try with the letters that they wrote to each other. Um, I think just I mean, you could just feel it watching the movie um but something that i thought was really interesting about the characters was that charlie was painted as a super like sympathetic character and you almost felt bad for him for the entirety of the film whereas i think with nicole she was painted as less sympathetic because she's you know she's the one who went to la and she's the one who served the divorce papers and everything um which i think is just an interesting way to frame the movie because again it doesn't really make either of them seem like the good guy or the bad guy um but i Throughout the movie, we really understand, we grow to understand Charlie a lot and his motives and everything. Whereas with Nicole, I think her character stays kind of stagnant throughout the movie where you don't really get to a deeper motive with her. She just wants to be in the lane. She wants to be with her son. But I think with Charlie, you see a little bit more than that. And I, goes, I can also speak on this as somebody who's seen Kramer versus Kramer from the 70s. The dynamic is completely different compared to this movie. In the 70s, you got your old school. The dad is, you know, the alcoholic and, you know, the mean guy. Like, it's your stereotypical, like, mean 70s father and the weak woman. There reports when that movie were made of all sorts of, you know, allegations of just abuse and stuff like that and this is again like from years ago so this is nothing super duper concrete just like pointed out there you compare it to this movie where now the roles are not necessarily flip but kind of more stagnant as you point out it's it's more like that stereotype that narrative that you know charlie's character is supposed to be this big meanie and nicole's supposed to be you know somebody who just doesn't care that's out the window now it's kind of like modern day the modern day experience as you put it for what it means to go through a divorce something that Again, it's completely different than how it worked, you know, 25 or even 30 years ago, something along those lines. 
Yeah, and you really see the the characters break down in that one scene where they're kind of screaming at each other in like the in the empty apartment, and they're saying all the things that they know they shouldn't say, and it kind of blows up at the end. But I think. Other than that, I mean, they experience the divorce very differently, and the way that they deal with it is very different. Um, and that doesn't mean that either one of them is doing anything wrong. You can just you see how they're processing the the divorce mentally and emotionally, and it's really interesting to see like how detailed the movie. I mean, it really went into the details of it um, with how they were experiencing it differently, but no one was doing anything wrong necessarily it was just a complicated process for them to go through yeah and the complicated process and and you hinted at that fight scene that we'll get into because that is an iconic scene and probably arguably one of the better scenes of the 21st century when it comes to movie making and as we said earlier we have a, a big three here mainly adam driver i mean recently new actor kind of this you know 2010s type actor in the recent star wars trilogies black Klansman. he plays a key supporting role he's in this movie silence is a really good movie about like three um christian like missionaries in, J- in japan like this cool historical movie scarlett johansson's got her role in marvel she's been nominated for two academy awards so i kind of like the two actors they basically went with the standard we're bringing in two talented actors and or actresses and we are playing the safe but then the other key player in this whole game is laura dern's character who plays nora she is amazing and we'll talk about this in a bit but she wins supporting actor the oscar for supporting actor and she's the perfect character for this the perfect third banana and accurately describes what that type of like lawyer like archetype is for this like divorce type story yeah i absolutely loved um nora's character she's just was so entertaining all the time and I think you could really see that she was using some kind of dark past that she had to bring out the humor and the light in the situation obviously she's very aggressive and she's fighting for her client as you know as a good lawyer should but I thought she was really a good comedic relief throughout the movie and she did have that iconic super iconic scene um where she goes on her her little monologue about the the role of the men and the women yes in yes absolutely love that scene <laughs> well and this is funny too because so back in my junior year of high school i saw a movie on it was an hbo or a, yeah an hbo documentary called recount and it was a story about the 2000 election in florida and that whole situation and laura dern plays the secretary of state for florida and it is like spot on it is kind of like the nora character it's maniacal not mainstream totally weird and it works so damn well. And she has done that before. She fits into so many different molds. I don't think she could be the 1A or 1B in a movie, but as a 2A, she is spot on. She's been in uh, one of the, in like the middle uh, Star Wars movie for that new trilogy that came out. She was the mom in Fallen Our Stars, and she played excellently in that movie. Obviously, in Recon, among other things, a couple Jurassic Park uh, instances. The perfect, again, like role player kind of for a movie like this headed by two mainstream stars. And it definitely showcased uh, throughout this movie for sure how much of an influence she had with her role in this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. I think she does a really good job of bringing out other people's characters. I mean, she really brought out the um, Charlie and Nicole, and she brought out a lot of stuff in them. Um, I think she does a really good job of just being kind of like a bouncing board for the main characters. The other thing I want to point out with this movie, but since we can move on from the actors and actresses, is obviously, I love doing this with every movie, but what's its role with other movies? Like, where is it in the year compared to other films that were released, as well as how it did in Oscars, in awards, all that sort of stuff. 
what I did not realize is that 2019 was a pretty big year for movies. Like we were talking about this was at an apex for all these sorts of big name actors coming out with these big name movies. And I think it might be arguably the best year of movies that we've covered so far out of all the film Fridays we've done. So just for reference, this movie was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actor and Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and then Best Original Score. It ended up winning one, which is the Best Supporting Actress for Laura, Laura Dern. Definitely her best movie to date. Here are the movies for this year, and this is where it gets absolutely crazy because there are movies here that I'm list I'm about to list that don't even have Oscar nominations that you would consider very good movies. Um, Joker, which won eleven or nominated for eleven Oscars, that was in this year. The Irishman, nineteen seventeen, a great historical movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a classic movie for sure. Little Women, Marriage Story, Parasite, which won for what uh, one Best Picture, and that was a really good movie that everyone needs to see. Jojo Rabbit. Two Popes, uh, one of the Star Wars movies, Toy Story 4, Knives Out, Rocket Man, which is one of our personal favorites, uh, the second Frozen movie, Endgame for Avengers, The New Lion King, Richard Jewell, which is about like the 96 Olympics and like the bombing of that in Atlanta, um, among others. I didn't even list all of them. That is a Mount Rushmore there for movies in a certain year for sure, right? That is a hell of a lineup. <laughs> It, and the the funny part is that some of these movies didn't even get not like Knives Out. I didn't even mention Knives Out and Rocket Man are in there, and they didn't nominate no nominations for any Oscars at all. And these are we're talking about like and with Rocket Man, we both saw it, a really good movie indeed. Endgame is you know one of the best highest grossing movies of all time. No nominations there. Like we are talking about a lineup here. Even things like Lion King, like the remake of it, which is a really good movie, no, no recognition. I mean, and this is a year where. If you look at the best picture, you got Parasite, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Little Woman, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Ford versus Ferrari. There's a case that if you swapped the fourth place winner for that list, they end up winning an Oscar in another year just because of how good the movie is. And I mean, as I mean, if you want to comment this a bit more for a little bit, this is a lineup for sure. Like in terms of classic actors, you know, big name movies, the right type of, you know, franchises, it's got the whole package for this year. Yeah, I mean, on the Oscars front, I really, I had no idea that it was that competitive, but I think if Marriage Story had been nominated for Best Picture or had been nominated for any of these other categories it was nominated for for a different year, it might have won something else because this was such a crazy lineup. I mean, some movies in there that I I thought had Oscars for (laughs) something and just did not because of how packed the year was. And and you bring up a good point that I didn't even think of yet, but... Marriage Story was tied for the third most nominations at the Oscars, which is very impressive because it's beating out other good movies that um, have been mentioned. So Joker ends up with 11 nominations. Irishman, 1917, and Once Upon a Time have 10 each. And then it has a tie for third with Parasite, which again was a really good movie that won Little Women and Jojo Rabbit. So even in that eight, that huge lineup of big name movies, it still ranks as the third most nominations. And it's got the big ones too. It's got the three main, three of the four main actors slash actress awards on there. It's got two of like the four main best movie or best picture awards. It's a really good movie and it definitely, I mean, based off the way we've seen this movie a couple times, it, there's a reason why it's up there in terms of like the accolades and the awards and the recognitions it received. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the acting is just, is indescribably good. The acting is absolutely amazing. And the way that the story is written, um, I think the, the storytelling of the movie is beautiful and absolutely incredible um i think it it really holds a special place even though it didn't get um a bunch of oscars i think it holds a really special place 
Well, and you hinted at it right now because we're about to get into the movie, but I think this is a key influence here, and we can touch on this for about a couple minutes. This movie is based on technically a true story. So in this movie, the director, which is Noah Bam uh, Bombatch, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, Laura Dern and Scarlett Johansson all went through divorces. So all three of them have experiences in this. The idea for this movie came out like two or three years before it was even created. It was probably, I think it was 2017 where they actually came up with the idea for this. So this is based on their actual experiences. And there's even, I mean, with everything, like there's a, not even a rumor, like they've reported that the Nora character is based on like an actual divorce lawyer used by some of these individuals. The story itself is based on Noah Bombatch's, the director of this movie's actual divorce experience with his wife which is funny because he actually showed his wife the movie and the wife like balled her eyes out and it definitely that realism and that ability to connect with a bunch of people and especially the emotional attachment and the sentimentality of this movie it, it definitely it shows itself in this movie and that's why we i think you can agree that we both love this movie a lot yeah for sure um i actually saw something about um the director i don't want to mispronounce his name but i think he actually did another divorce movie a couple years back and um you could really tell that he was angry with the parents in in the movie um because he based it off his you know his parents and his experience with that as a child and it was a much more angry movie where i think with this one it wasn't angry at all it was completely understanding um and you can really see like how mature of a perspective it is because um, there's no anger and there's no blame. Um, it's really just telling the full story with, and using all of the aspects that are there, not just blaming one person. Yeah, the maturity is a key part of this movie too because they're really doing this from, they kind of bounce out because they're doing this again. I think we can both agree uh, with our conspiracy minds here. They're doing this through Henry's perspective because they always, they always frame it, it seems like, around Henry, especially even with the legal parts of it, with the custody um, how he's going between the different houses, the living arrangement legally with like, is it New York or Los Angeles? What's the debate? But then they're also doing this mature side where they're showing the adult perspective, which I think is an, it's an often overlooked perspective because I think people narrow it down more than what it actually is. I think people tend to really generalize like how this process works. Where in reality, with many things in life, it's always based on like a case by case basis. There really is no like, you know, cookie cutter way to tell this story. And yet they somehow managed to pull it off with this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's, you really see all the complications of it um, through not just the, the legal and the logistical stuff, but also the emotional stuff. Um, because even though they are, they're coming apart legally, they're also coming apart emotionally and they were married for so long. And other, you know, other than the living situation and everything, you really get to see that part of it as well, which I thought was, was really cool to see. And I think everybody watching this movie probably came apart emotionally as well, given uh, the people have seen, I've, I think we can, we've both seen this, we've polarized that, and a couple other people, I mean, I I know people have seen this movie, and they've just let it rip, because of how, how, it, so only certain movies can do, there's only been a couple, I, I've got no more than eight on my list that have, like, truly done that to me, and a couple of them are historical, based on how accurate they do things, but others are like this, where it's just like, you cannot get this anymore right, and I think if a movie can do that, um, if you can attest on your end, if a movie can do that, that really means they probably know what they're doing, and it really is an all-time film for people to watch. Yeah, I mean, you can really tell that the storytelling and the directing comes from people who have been through this process, um, not just somebody from an outsider's perspective looking in. Um, you can see that this is a real story that real people have been through, um, and it's really highlighting the complications and just that entire situation. I think that's the reason that it does so well. 
we've we've done about twenty minutes worth of uh, contextualizing here. Let's get into the movie here. So we're starting off with our first category, and that's our favorite scene that we saw. So I've got about thirteen or fourteen on my list of like memorable scenes that. I thought really stood out from this movie. The first of which is the hard, that's the hardest one to watch for sure. And that's that, what I like about seeing the intro to this whole situation. It, it, that is like the best, probably best, but one of the best ways to start a movie like I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely brutal. I've never started a <laughs> movie crying. Yet. Like you, you end a movie crying, but you never start a movie crying. Yeah. This is the movie where you start crying. Especially, especially, I think from like again, somebody who's lived through that experience, that the way they just did that's insane. The way they filmed it, the way they did it, comparing the past with the present, it was the best way to do it. And especially because, as we've seen with this movie and how it was formatted, they did not start the story with the beginning of the marriage. They started in the middle of the divorce process, but they still talked about everything up to that point somehow not even doing like a how they got married and how they met they just talk about it like subtly but actually just going through what their descriptors are and how we kind of see those descriptors come up time and time again in these movies or throughout the movie it really in terms of screenplay and writing it's amazing and in terms of appealing to your emotions and you know getting in your head and just getting off to a good start it really does the it gets the job done for sure yeah, it really hooks you in. And I think something else really awesome about the letters is the way that the movie, <clears throat> the way that the movie ends as well with Henry. Oh, reading don't even get me started on that. <laughs> yeah, with Henry reading the letter because it really just comes full circle. And again, we were talking about the maturity thing and everything being through Henry's perspective. And I think at the end, you really see that um, although those people really cared for each other and they were coming apart and all of this. At the end, Henry eventually understands, even though he was, you know, a little upset, a little frustrated sometimes throughout the movie. At the end, he reads that letter. And I think that's the moment where he understands everything. And we'll get to that ending in a bit. One more comment on this intro scene, too. The letters themselves are really well written. Like the not forget like all of the stuff with like big words. Where no no no, just the way that they like talk about it. Even with the fun stuff, where like Charlie's very competitive, Nicole's very competitive. Like the way they do that with like the matching it with the actual what you're seeing on screen is genius. It is so well written, and I'm putting it up there. It is one of the better movie intros I've probably seen in my lifetime. It's probably up there with the Normandy scene in Saving Private Brian or Saving Private Ryan. That's probably it for best first 20 minutes of a movie or first five minutes of a movie part of me it is a really memorable scene and it it destroys you like as you put it it destroys you emotionally and it still ties back to the end of the movie which i think makes it even more memorable indeed yeah i mean i think screenwriting wise it is just out of this world um there's there's a couple basic plot lines that i think most movies follow um and if you if you really know what that plot line is and you're looking for it you can see it with just about every movie except this one this is completely unique in the way that it's structured and the way that it starts and ends at kind of a similar place but you really see something unravel and then come to, not really come together but just come to something at the end and you don't really see that in a lot of movies i think the way that it was structured and the way that it was written was really beautiful and the way that the letters were written um was so simple but so emotional um but not trying too hard to be emotional it just was and you just felt it the next thing i want to talk about here we don't have to spend too much time on this one but i think it's a pretty important one and that's the first dialogue between um 
Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson or Nicole and Charlie after like that whole intro scene. So like they're at the house talking for like a couple minutes. It sets the tone for what we're really going to be doing with the rest of this movie. And that that's, I don't think there was a better way to do it, especially with its simplicity, with the short and yet like pretty impacting dialogue. They, th- that one is another one where like, you feel bad, especially at the end where like Nicole's walking away and it's like basically trying to hold back tears and then just like lets it go. That seems another brutal one to watch just for like what we're anticipating the rest of this movie. Yeah, I think you mentioned the short sentences and I think like the way that that scene is written with the really choppy sentences from Nicole, um, it really just shows that she's holding back more than she's not feeling anything. I think what her character was trying to portray was this emotionless facade, um, but you could really tell as an audience watching it, I mean, you could see that she was just holding back and she wasn't ready to let go yet. Yeah, it's a big scene indeed. Again, nothing in particular. This next scene, though, is very important. I think this sets up a dynamic that we see throughout the rest of this movie. It's that first scene with Nora, um, where it's like her, Nora and, uh, and uh, not sure what's her name, and Nicole talking in that room. So our first introduction of Nora. And we get this Nicole dial uh, monologue that goes on for like five minutes, where she's just going on and on. Do you want to speak a little bit about that monologue? Because I thought it was pretty telling uh, for the rest of this movie. Yeah, I think that was a really great way to set up um, the issues and why they were actually getting divorced. Because I think throughout the movie, um, you see a lot of why their relationship is so perfect. Um, And you see their faults as well. But with that, you really feel Nicole's frustrations. And I think that scene is actually where you see Nicole the most. Um, Like I said before, I think we tend to sympathize with Charlie a little bit more in the movie. But in that scene, you you really see Nicole and you understand her struggle and you you feel bad for her um, because the way that she sees things is not at all the way that Charlie sees things. Um, and she tells that to Nora. But just, just her entire experience of it emotionally, um, I don't think she really processed it until it all just came out in that room. The other thing that stood out to me is that it just, it makes a difference from the first three minutes of that scene or before that, where Nicole's doing these short, choppy sentences and, you know, is holding back. And then all of a sudden she just lets it fly for like five to seven minutes in front of Nora, this random girl. She has no idea about it. It's just a contact from this person that she knew uh, at the at the uh, film at the TV uh, studio where they were recording. And not only that, I think what also stood out for me, as you eloquently pointed out, is that it really showcases that this is where the divide starts to happen. We really see the Charlie perspective versus the Nicole perspective. And then it sets up this huge power dynamic where now it's these little battles. It's, you know, Charlie's lawyer versus Nicole's lawyer. It's Charlie versus Nicole. It's Nicole and Nora together, them clicking. Charlie and Nicole clicking and then breaking and then clicking again. Charlie and the and the, and the kid. All these different little duos. Because I, I noticed in this movie, it's always in pairs. Every, every one of these scenes, there's always pairs. There's no ba- like third character that comes in. It's always one character with another, which definitely puts a big emphasis on dialogue, but also that idea of really connecting and getting a good sense of communication between two different individuals. Yeah, I hadn't even really noticed that until you brought it up, but for sure, I think the the idea or the motif of connection is really prevalent throughout this movie because um, you really see that the relationship with Henry and his mother and Henry and his father are very different but they are both those two relationships are very strong and they're very connected um, and the relationship between Nicole and Charlie is very complicated but whenever they're having their their fights or their moments or whatever they're always alone um, and whenever you really see emotional connections and emotional outpourings from characters it really is it is a duo i had never noticed that until you brought it up 
And of course, most importantly, it introduces Norris' character, who's, you know, like, the maniacal lawyer, like, in your stereotypical, like, divorce lawyer. Like, there's, there's no other way to put it. And the, the way she, you, the audience gets, uh, definitely is hesitant with her at first, because she seems comforting, but you also see that look in her eyes of, like, if she had, like, a bazooka right now, she would blow up Charlie's apartment. And I think that dynamic is crucial for this movie, especially when we see the later scenes with the arguments over the different uh, incidents about, like, the custody and who gets what and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I think that's honestly just part of her job. I mean, part of her job is to represent Nicole and everything that Nicole wants and to, quite frankly, not really care about Charlie at all because he's not her client. Um, but what what I thought was interesting about that is that um, later when they're all sitting in the room and Charlie's with his lawyer and Nicole and, um, and Nora are sitting together, the four of them are talking and everything, and they do that little break for lunch, um, Nora starts talking to Charlie as if they're friends, as if yeah. everything's totally fine, which is funny, and it really just shows that she takes her role and her job as a lawyer very seriously and when she's in that she's really in that but the second that it breaks she's just a normal person well and another way we see this is later on where nor it's nora and then that other lawyer the second lawyer that charlie hires same thing where they're like you're they're greeting each other in the hallway like they're you know they just went to go drinking the night before and then they're like full blown at it and i've seen this before with movies for uh, the no- the notable one off the top of my head is a few good men with um Tom Cruise and then Kevin Bacon, they're opposite lawyers for that whole movie. And yet they have the same thing. They're, you know, out going on a restaurant, talking to each other as best buddies, but they're obviously representing different sides of an important case. Same dynamic here, you know, 20 something years later, where we're seeing yet again, that idea of like, that, that, that it's what makes Norse character so fascinating because she takes her job, as you put it, so seriously. And yet, you also see this side of her where she can act normal. And you don't see that with that char- a character like that usually in movies. And it's definitely, it's a big reason why she won the Oscar. It's a big reason why it's probably her best movie to date. All that sort of stuff. The the, the next thing I want to talk about, because I think this is a pretty interesting one, is the fir- is this first debate over the custody of and where the family resides. So there's a big debate as to, you know, they live in Los Angeles. Nicole and the family were raised in Los Angeles. But they were in New York for 10 years. Are they a New York-based family or an L.A.-based family? It's this meeting with uh, uh, Charlie and then, like, that first set of lawyers. What were your thoughts on that scene, if you remember that one? Yeah, for sure. I think that really starts to set up the complications in the movie. Um, Because when you hear Charlie's side of it and then when you hear Nicole's side of it, you can really see both sides. I mean, she moved to L.A. to pursue her career and, you know, as somebody who is just independent and who is no longer tied down to a marriage i mean you you feel for her because she should be able to do whatever she wants but on the other hand you know their family's in new york and charlie's charlie's career is in new york and i think that really sets up this idea that neither of them are bad people and neither of them are doing anything wrong they just want different things but they both want to be with henry and that's that's the thing connecting them um and i think that very first divide is what sets up all of the complications to come it also sets in two things that make this the rest of this movie absolutely amazing. First off, it sets in this wake-up call for Charlie that this is serious. Like, the lawyers are involved. Th- this is like, lives are on the line here, careers are on the line, the family's on the line. But the second one, which is the most important one to me, is that 
it showcases this, le this legal side of the divorce process and the complications of it. And this idea that the thing, the phrase that stood out to me was painting the narrative. It doesn't matter how good, as you pointed out, that Charlie or Nicole are, it's who can make the other one look worse. And it's by doing, as they show in these later scenes that we'll get into, all of this little, like, oh, they have alcohol problems with, like, you know, stretching the truth. It's true, but, you know, if they were together, it wouldn't be a big deal. Or, you know, all these little things that were, again, were not a big deal during the marriage, but now they're using it as, you know, throwing tomatoes at each other and hoping that one of their suits or dresses gets more dirty than the other in order to win a case for their son, for money, for whatever. Yeah, and that reminds me, there was um, a quote in the movie, I think Charlie said it, it was something like, uh, you were happy in the marriage, you've just now decided that you weren't. Um, yeah. And I think that, that really shows the, the legal side of it, because when you're going through that process, the movie does a really good job of showing how these things that weren't really a big deal now have to be a big deal, and they're elevated, um, and they're not really true, but you have to stretch it. I mean, they're stretching the truth to get what they want, and that's that's what this whole thing is about. This scene also wins my heart over because it has two of my favorite movie quotes ever. The first is, criminal lawyers see bad people at their best, divorce lawyers see good people at their worst. And then the other quote that the lawyer says, uh, Charlie's lawyer says is, um, if they start, if we start from a line of crazy and they start from a line of, or well, no, if they start from a line of, of crazy and we start from a line of reasonable, we end up somewhere between reasonable and crazy and half crazy is crazy. And I think that's the best way to put it. It's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to go all or nothing here because, they're, uh, the other side, quote-unquote, isn't going to hold back. And we, everybody who has experienced a divorce sees this where you kind of – it's either this or nothing. And even Nor points out at some point in the film the system is messed up. But for everybody, the system's messed up. Nobody wins except for divorce lawyers. Nobody wins a divorce because you're wasting money and time and energy. And if you have kids, you know it's dumb and it's not – it, you take time away from them and from their school. It's, it really is like they pointed accurately that part of it. I think it's super underrated. They point out the messed up part of the divorce that it affects not just the parents. It affects everybody else involved. There are, like, are no winners more likely than not in a divorce settlement. Yeah, I think especially having Henry there, there was really no expectation that either of them was going to end up happy with whatever happened, you know. And even at the very end, when Nora tells um, Nicole that she actually got it 55-45 um, for their time, um, even then she's not happy. Even then she, you know, it's an issue. So I really think that it, it does a really, really good job of showing that no matter what happens, no one wins here. And the other thing that I think is the underrated part, and this is something that, like, if you experience divorce, you go through this, you're not treated as a person, you're treated as an asset. You are now, you are just a legal component in a wider problem between two people who, yes, they brought you up in their, their upbringing, but they're also, like... In this moment, you're just now a, a, you're emotionally disconnected from them because now there's a whole legal thing of how how long how many hours do you spend per week? Where are you staying? Are you close to that? Um, all these sorts of things. The money that they're spending on that they could be spending on you for school or for future college or whatever that gets taken out, and they're showing it with Charlie. Charlie's like a pong in this game. The whole they they especially with Charlie's character, he cares. He tries caring so much about Charlie that he forgets that he's still using him as like a pong using him like on this big game of chess to try to outwit the wife, the wife. And even the wife sees it where at the end, as you point out this whole 55, 45 notion, even she's like one day, every two weeks, what's the, what's the added bonus for that? Like that's, it's nothing. And it, it, it showcases how like by the end of the process, you really forget like what the bottom line of it is for sure. Um, a couple other scenes are, uh, uh 
nothing important, but I thought it would be cool to point out. Uh, the handoff of the Nora envelope. Uh, that whole scene is so funny with the sister and the mom. Getting to know those two characters. They, the heat check award for both the, the mom, for sure. I love this mom and the character. Definitely some upliftingness you need after all the crying. Um, the first call between Nora and Adam Driver... Um, when, uh, Charlie is at the, uh, like theater station and trying to figure out some stuff and Nora's like, you gotta get a lawyer or else, you know, we're going to take full custody, blah, 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 legal. You got to do this. Uh, the first interaction between Henry and Charlie in Los Angeles, where they're at like Nicole's new, uh, Nicole's house, or I think Nicole's mom's house, uh, the whole thing with the car seat, waiting outside, all that sort of stuff. We really see that the disconnect now between the parent and the kid, um, so just a couple of memorable ones there, and then we can get into one of my underrated ones, and that's this whole Halloween portion, the whole thing with the, having the two Halloweens, and then, you know, the, Charlie can't go to the, this, the Nicole's Halloween now, because some people don't want it, or whatever, like, the quote-unquote, whatever the thing may be, the whole thing with now, that's his instance, and that's his move to switch lawyers, all of that makes a big deal for the, like, last 40-ish minutes of this movie. Yeah, I think that both of them wanted this to be an amicable process in the beginning, but once they really got into the, the, the details of it, once they got to the first holiday of them being apart, you know, the, the Halloween, um, they realized that this was not amicable because they both wanted to be with Henry and there was they really didn't want to compromise on that. Um, and it, I think it was really the start of the end. It was, it was the start of it becoming more aggressive and becoming more of this super complicated thing that they had to figure out instead of just, okay, we're separating and, we, and it's 50-50 and it's whatever. They thought that's what was going to happen, but by I think that scene is when they realized that that's not what was going to happen at all. For sure, indeed. Um, two more scenes here. The first of which I don't want to spend too much time about because you brought it up already, but the first lawyer meeting with uh, Charlie and the old lawyer, that he, the first lawyer he hires, and then Nora and Nicole. The whole thing, as you bring up with Nora's, you know, personality, the whole thing with the custody, all that sort of stuff, we've hammered home that point. The next one, though, is a big one. That's the courtroom scene with the new lawyer versus Nora, the back and forth. And this is where we see the stretching the truth on some of these things that we saw firsthand ourselves as an audience in the movie. And they're kind of using it as a way to play off the... Uh, like who should win what, how deceitful and vicious of a person, quote unquote, that these characters are. Yeah, that scene was super interesting because, I mean, watching the things that they were talking about in the movie as an audience, you never really thought that they were a big deal. I mean, they look like just normal little things that happen with parents all the time. I mean, he didn't get the car seat installed correctly. Okay, so what? Like, it happens. And then, but the, just the way that it's brought up and the way that it's expressed in court, um, and again, with, like, the alcohol thing and with the, with the mom and just all of that stuff, things that really aren't a big deal and you don't think they're a big deal when you're watching it, but the way that the lawyers will just twist the truth and be yeah. as aggressive as possible to get whatever the, the car seat was put in wrong that means he's a bad parent take the kid right. like that sort of thing the one that sticks out to me is the one with the career with uh, nicole wouldn't have the career if it wasn't for charlie if you're arguing on charlie's side if you're on nicole's side you're like she has pursued a career and sacrificed to make sure charlie had his career and therefore should be paid that whole thing is fascinating as well because again same story and you somehow find two different ways to argue it if you're the lawyers a fascinating way, again, to explain this whole issue with the divorce, where it really is two different perspectives. Who is going to win 50.1% of the judge's uh, respect? That's the that's the, the bottom line. Because in the end, when it comes to this sort of case, you're not trying to win. You're just trying not to lose. Yeah, 
And there's a difference that you are not trying to go for the kill. You are just trying to defend yourself and squeak by enough honesty or uh, not honesty, I guess, uh, satisfaction. That's a better way to put it with the judge to win out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think in that scene, you can really see that they're just playing dirty. No one is being honest and no one is being truthful and no one is really saying, you know, what they're thinking. Um, they're just playing dirty to get as much as they possibly can. Um, but there's there's no honesty in this situation and neither of them are really telling the truth. They're just, you know, telling what they think is, you know, what the lawyers think is their perspective when really it's not. I mean, I don't think even either of the parents thought that way until the lawyers said it. And the other one that's the big one, and this has been mentioned in every courtroom scene, is this idea of, like, things they agreed on that were not written down. So it's, like, things they thought of, but now because they're not thought of, they're, they don't exist. Or now you can't, you can't argue because now you look biased or whatever. So, like, the things with, oh, we'll move back to this state after whatever. Or, oh, this money goes to here. What, all that sort of stuff now goes out the window. And now you have this, again, complicated situation where now the disconnect is real. This is probably the biggest moment in the movie where there's a big disconnect. Because now the, half of these words they're saying aren't true or they're stretches of the truth. And even Nicole and Charlie time and time again, the reason early on they didn't want to bring Boyer's involved is because all it becomes now is less of a divorce case and more of a character assassination for both of them. Because now there's no winner and they're losing money, both of them, and now... Even with the things with uh, Charlie's lawyer saying, like, hey, is the mom rich? Will you, like, steal money off the mom because, you know, she has a loaded TV career? Oh, we can, uh, we have to make you, like, seem more guilty. All that sort of stuff to try to paint this image that they're not, that either of them are not. And it, it definitely, that reality of the divorce is really portrayed well in this movie. And this scene probably does it better than any moment in the movie. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a moment in the courtroom when Nora said something along the lines of, you know, like, what, so that was a deal, but that was a discussion. And it just makes you think, so what's the difference between a deal and discussion? And what's a conversation? And what's a contract, you know, and all of these things that they were just talking about in their marriage. Now it's like, well, how legal is it? And how illegal is it? And did we ever get it down in writing? And it's, it's things that they had never thought about before, because they never had to, you know, but the way that everything is being framed now, it all has to be flipped like framed through a legal perspective and they just weren't ready for it all right let's cut the crap here let's talk about this fight scene easily one of the best scenes of the 21st century what are your first thoughts when you saw this because the first time i saw this it was december of 2019 or 2020 i guess holy hell was this a scene to watch like there is no i had no words for this i had to like put the movie down because of like how crazy and realistic it is so i don't know if you want to comment on it first you, you can go first on this thing because i'm still baffled by it you know like year, years later yeah i mean i don't know if you've heard the phrase letting the intrusive thoughts win but i think that's that that's that entire scene <laughs> they, they really just let out every deep dark thought they have ever had and I, I think the first time that I watched the movie, I also had to put it down after that scene. And I think especially with the end of it, when Charlie says all those horrible things about like, hoping she dies and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, that, that was bad. Oh. Breaks down and they, they hug. Even though they just said these horrible, terrible things about each other, they still hug. And you can see that they they both know that that's not who they really are. They're just going through a really hard time and taking it out on each other. And you see that through this like really sweet moment that they have after screaming at each other and calling each other names for however long it was. Um, I think that was a, a really nice way to end that scene. 
because it showed that, you know, that's not really their character. Um, although they did say these terrible things and they had this terrible fight, that's not who they really are. Um, they're, they're still, you know, they still know each other and they still love each other. They're just having a hard time and taking it out on each other. There's no other way to describe it other than a good writing. It, it is incredible writing. There is no other way to put it because of how realistic it is. I, I We keep using that word, but that is hard to do for this type of movie because you can create different little fantasies and go with the grain and, or go with the grain here in terms of different stereotypes and generalizations. They cannot make this any more emotionally appealing, realistically attractive, and so good with the storytelling. Especially, as you put it, with that little end bit where, you know, they're both right in the face with anger, then sad, then more anger, and then more sad, and then they're hugging at the end. Adam Driver punching the wall. Um, the, him saying he want, he wishes, like, uh, his wife was, like, dead. Uh, Johansson, you know, going in for a couple swipes about, like, his career and how he was selfish and the affair... All that sort of stuff. It's, it kind of builds on everything we've seen up to that movie. And then it leads to an interesting point because then it dies down. We see how, like, that was the climax right there for the movie. And it kind of, you know, goes toward the, what what was the resolution? Especially with the legal process, especially with how it affected Charlie. In terms of it fitting in the plot, it's amazing. And emotionally, I mean, this kicked my butt. This was, there's no other way to put it. This was really, really telling, really good screenwriting. And there's no other way to describe it other than that. Yeah, I mean, I think the word that you were saying, resolution, I think the resolution of that scene was that there's still love between them. And that's why it was so emotional, because it was this so, it was a super aggressive um, fight scene where you could tell that, or you could see that they kind of hated each other, but then it ends with them still loving each other. And that's why it's, it just points out this complicated thing. And it shows that even though they are coming apart, it's it's not that simple it's not as simple as okay i've just decided not to not to be with charlie or not to be with nicole anymore it's not that simple and you you see that in that scene yeah for sure indeed and to reiterate this is easily one of the best scenes of the 21st century for sure in terms of everything it's got to be up there top 10 for sure with with all the different you know categories to describe it um a couple more scenes here we got about three left the first we don't have to spend much time on, but the scene with the counselor and charlie's home is hysterical the voice of the counselor um how monotone it is and how boring it is all of that is just hilarious and it's like it's obviously true and very sad but at the same time it definitely provided a little bit of relief after the previous scene that we saw which is very more emotionally uh damaging uh for anybody who watched it um this next scene be the being alive charlie solo at the restaurant that that's it i'm not gonna say it's my favorite scene but man is it very close um re-watching it uh compare it, uh, it just there's no other way to put it. i'm like lost for words with how good of a, a scene it is that one gets me every every <laughs> time it, uh, that was the absolute perfect song to end the movie with. I mean, I think the, the quote that, from that song that really stands out and it really, I think, expresses how Charlie feels towards the end of the movie is um, alone is alone, not alive. And I think that you see him at his loneliest. Oh, um, that one. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah. He doesn't have, you know, his wife anymore and he only has 45% of his kid, whatever that means. And, you know, his career, he just completely uprooted and moved to L.A. And he doesn't know who he is anymore. And he is lonely. And you see that in that scene. Um, and he's not trying to get people to feel bad for him or anything. He's just lonely. Yeah, that that one is a, a nuclear one for sure. There's no another another just memorable scene 
Which is funny because, of course, logistically, obviously, he, he's a director. He's a theater director. So this whole movie paints it around him. And he, this is the first time he's actually not directing something. He's directing himself. In all the other scenes, he's telling other people what to do. He's telling um, other people to represent him. In this scene, he is doing himself. Which is a complete shift from the whole movie, which I think is a very cool big picture idea. The song itself, as you point out, is just like heartbreaking. That that is one where again, like you, that's like a a a, a, re, a, memorable, a memorable one. That's just one that it's a song that everyone's gonna remember for the rest of their life after they see this movie. And then, of course, when it goes in the middle of the whole story, it shows it that now all he has left, as you point out, is no wife and forty five percent of a kid. That's all he has left. And now he's starting anew. And when you start anew, you start as you always start anew by yourself. You have, you're lacking the connections and all that stuff. The, it, it's super memorable indeed. There's no other way to put it. The la- now we got to talk about the last scene. Because this, this one is... I will say, I think this movie, you can make a case the last 35% is better than the first 65%. Based off if you include the big fight scene. And then these last two scenes we're talking about here. There is a big case for it. What were your thoughts on the ending with Charlie reading the stuff and then, like, the final goodbye at the end when they're outside? Because that is holy hell. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think that was honestly the absolute perfect way to end that movie because it's not a happy ending, but it's not a sad ending either. It's just, it's not even really an ending at all. It's actually kind of like a beginning, a beginning of a new way of living their lives. And you see this this beginning of Henry's maturity. Um, there's a whole thing throughout the movie where he has trouble with his reading. Um, but the first time you really see him reading well and understanding is his mom's letter. Oh, um, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think when he reads that, you see a new level of maturity from Henry that you didn't expect from him. Um, and he's really starting to understand the situation. He's understanding what's happening. And even at the end when um, I think it was like Nicole's night, but she gave Henry to Charlie or it might have been the other way. No, that, that, you have it right. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you really start to see that they've matured and they've moved past the the dirty fighting stage, and now they're just trying to to live their lives and just be decent people and coexist with one another. Um, and that's just how it's going to be for the rest of Henry's life. And it's it's not an ending. That's why it's just it's a beginning. It's a continuation. Continuation. <laughs> well, I, I'm like I'm at a loss for words with this scene too. The first time I saw this scene, it was just. N- nuclear. There, there's no other way to describe it, especially with Charlie reading it, and then or uh, the uh, Henry reading, it, and then Charlie reading, it, and then you have Nicole in the background, not noticing Ch- Charlie, not noticing she's there, and she's bawling her eyes out. Charlie's bawling his eyes out. Henry's, you know, hugging the little arm, bawling his eyes out. I'm bawling my eyes out watching it. I'm pretty sure you were bawling. Everybody watching that scene was bawling their eyes. Out. It was, you know, a cry fest out there, because of how good it was, and it tie it. It really. It really, like, it was a good, mellow way to end the movie. And mellow sounds like a harsh way, but I consider it like a good way. It really was a calm way to bring it all back into focus and all back into center. Tying it all up together, saying how even after that whole process, they're back to what they were, which is a family. It is a new variation, but they are still that same family. And I think that was a nice way to end that movie and a really well-written story indeed. Yeah, I think calm is definitely the right word for it, um, because throughout this movie, this whole process, anything but calm. Um, th- well, it's, it's confusing for one thing. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that the fact that it ends on a calm note um, is actually very nice. And you see that they came to some kind of consensus and now they're just coexisting and they don't want to 
you know, fight each other anymore. They just want to be calm and just live their lives. Alrighty, so let's pick a favorite scene here. We could start with you. If you had to choose a favorite scene, what are you going with? Or if you have like a top three, what's your top three or top one, whatever you want to pick? Well, I think that ending scene is definitely my, my favorite, but the fight scene is, is right under it for me um, because they both show a lot of character development and a lot of maturity from the characters and, you know, complexity of, of the characters um, and more than one level. And I think after both of those scenes, you really come out um, knowing a whole lot more about them and understanding their motives and their desires a whole lot more. I'm torn between picking either the intro scene or the fight scene. Because I think you can make a case the fight scene is the better one ranking all time. If you had to, like, rank all the scenes in order. But I think the my that intro scene for me might be my favorite. Especially with how it ties into the end. And it really... I, th I love when movies get off to a good start. I think if you grab your audience's attention and you somehow make that great part of the scene even better... Make the movie even better... Because usually it's the opposite. Usually movies start off slow and build up momentum. This thing goes right off the bat and it sets the, the tone off the off the beginning of the, the start time. I think, I gotta, I think I'm going to go against the grain here and probably do that intro scene. I think the fight scene is probably number two for me. And then number three, I think I got a tie between the being alive scene with Adam Driver and then the closing scene. Just because how, again, emotionally appealing those scenes were. How much they got to me on my, my sort of personal levels. And in terms of screenwriting and directing all that stuff, it's, again, up there, some of the best of all time. Uh, let's move on to, do you have a comment to say? Are you ready to move on to our next category? Oh, yeah, no, actually, hearing what you said, I think I w would change my answer a little bit. Um, I think my favorite scene scene isn't actually a scene, but I think it's just the relationship between the intro and the end and how that ties together. That's a what's age 12 for sure, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we, we can start with you on this next category too. What are some big themes that you picked up on this? I mean, we don't have to spend too much time on this. We touched on, you know, legal process of the divorce, the whole duo thing with, you know, it seems like these characters are in pairs, either with each other, talking to each other for better or worse, you know, going against each other in pairs, that whole dynamic. What, what are some big things that start to you from this movie? Like overall? Um, I think and connection are the two biggest motifs that I noticed. Complexity, because you really see these different levels of these characters and you see that it's not just black and white and it's not just, you know, this person's in the right, this person's in the wrong. Um, because in the end, no one was in the right and no one was in the wrong. They just wanted different things. Um, and you really start to understand that with, with every scene going out, going through this movie. Um, and also with the connection thing, um, like we were talking about before, um, you really see that a lot of scenes with just the two characters having a conversation, having a fight, having whatever it is. Um, but they, the two characters are connecting on a deeper level and you get to see um, a deeper level of each person through the way that they interact with somebody else. We can move on to our next thing here. I think the things that aged well in this movie, I'm going with first off every duo character uh, interaction. So I'm talking about Charlie and Nicole, Nicole and Nora, Charlie and Nicole with the kid. Um, even the mom with Charlie's a good one. The respective lawyers with their things. Even the one where Charlie's off to the side in that little lunchroom with the first lawyer. Even that's a pretty good scene between those two characters. All those duos and chem that chemistry really is one of the better ones I've seen in a film. Uh, pop culture references are pretty hysterical in this movie. Uh, plenty throughout. There's a couple moments on TV where you see some iconic stuff. Obviously, you got some Legos in there. I, I love when movies just do that sort of stuff. It's pretty funny, so I just love, love to point that crap out. Um, the, the balance between the music scores being so damn good after the emotional scenes and then when there's like arguments and they're silent as hell. 
those absolutely kicked my butt, especially with the fight scene. You can attest to that for sure. That silence is deafening in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the silence just kind of making you think, like, well, what else is there to say? I mean, you got everything you got everything out of your system. Like, do you feel better now? Like, what, what, where do you go from here? Like, that's really what it makes you think. Um, a couple other things that age well. Um, like why? Like I said earlier, starting off the movie at the uh mid, the basically the beginning of the divorce process and not the beginning of the marriage. And everything with the intro in terms of how they set up the characters, I think, is really good. And I think that was I, that's a good way to do it compared to doing the how we got here or the, doing the um how bef- the before how we got here, the how we got here, and how it ended. I really liked how they just said the how we got here part, which is really nice. Um, describing the divorce process, everything with the legal thing, even the stupid stuff like the the stereotypes of you know two of everything and the two Halloweens and all that stuff, the custody. All that's pretty well written. Uh, the divorce lawyers acting as complete uh, a-holes. That, that really ages well. They That's what they get paid to do. But man, it isn't a pretty business. Um, are there anything else that uh, stood out to you uh, in this movie that really aged well? I really think you got all of it, but that's, that's pretty much all my thoughts. <laughs> uh, a couple more that I found too. Nothing big in particular. Uh, aged well. Johansson's monologue with Nora. The, the five-minute tangent, it is up there uh, for sure. I think that might be... Her best scene in a in a film for sure. Ditto for Adam Driver with the being alive scene. I think you can make a case that might be his best scene in a movie if you really you know did the numbers and the the crunching on that. Uh, and then lastly, um, this one's the this underrated as hell. But the camera angle where they sign the divorce papers and they fade out from Nicole, no basically noses touching each other to Charlie. Then with Charlie fading in. One of those little details where I'm just like, if this is done in another way, it completely misses the mark, doesn't hammer home the point. And I think you can agree here, that definitely was a nice bit to the movie for sure. Yeah, I definitely noticed that too. It was so cool. It was just a nerdy little thing that I noticed. But the the way that they they film it and the way that they go back and forth between the characters, um, and that scene is really prevalent because they literally go back and forth. Um, But I think throughout the entire movie, you can see that same motif where you know the, the characters will be doing similar things and they're really just going back and forth between them and that that's a really really nice way to set this movie up now i'm gonna ask you this question because this one actually had a bit more trouble finding what didn't age well in this movie because honestly i think it, this is as perfect as a movie you can get it really was it was it was kind of nitpicking here trying to find some stuff that i didn't really like so do you want anything in particular or do you have anything in particular or are you kind of more on the line of like there's not much to complain about I think the only thing that kind of what I was thinking about this movie is that the the parents are both fairly well off. They're both rich. Um, and I think that this movie depicts the divorce story of two people that have money. Um, but if you're thinking about it from like the large majority of people don't have quite as much money as these two people have. So it, it, it depicts that very realistically. But I think that's not the re- reality of everyone, because although it did affect them financially a lot i mean charlie was able to fly back and forth to la and he had this this amazing like grant that he got and she grew up with a rich family and she grew up in hollywood and she lived in west hollywood i mean they they had money so a lot of these problems that some people would realistically have financially they didn't actually have to face so i think that was you know, one of the, the only really downfalls of the and I don't even know if it was a downfall because it was just telling that specific story, but that was just one of the things that didn't really highlight. See, I agree with you. I don't think it's a downfall, but that's a good point that I didn't even think about is that imagine if, you know, Nicole and Charlie are both public school teachers 
in like a poor county and all of a sudden the the narrative shifts where that universality is still there with the story but there is a difference in um in what they do because obviously they can't afford the rich lawyer if you're charlie you're not there is no way to fly back and forth to la to new york that's an expensive flight that's like three thousand miles there you know a gajillion dollars per month or whatever it is that's an excellent point that you bring up there the only thing that i thought didn't age well was uh ironically the two quotes that i said they didn't age well because of how damn true they were like the they really are accurate so and i guess they, they're too accurate for sure as a couple for a couple people that i know including myself all that sort of stuff and then especially with the divorce lawyers they didn't age well because of again how realistic it was especially where i don't think all of them are that bad but man that is a if there's one way to characterize them, it's in that notion right there how they're friendly on the off the court but when it comes to game time representing their client they show no remorse it's client or bust. There is no sympathy. There is no regret. And there's no holding back. And I think those definitely stood out. Oh, do you have anything else that didn't age well? Because I'm kind of I've got nothing else on my list. Not really. I'm blanking. It was a very good movie. So we can move on to this uh, little portion. I like to call like unanswered questions and or like fun facts about this movie because there's a lot to talk about here, and we we can spend about ten minutes on this before we wrap up this episode. So. The first one is that Laura Dern's character, so Nora, is actually based on a super famous attorney named Laura Wasser, and she represented both Dern, Scarlett Johansson, and the director during their divorces, and I think we can agree there that definitely made this movie like 15% better, basing it not only off a real character, but having that knowledge of what it's like to go through a divorce for three of the four big people on this movie. That's absolutely hilarious. I actually did not know that. But the fact that um, that character represented some of the actors on the movies is really funny. And I think you can actually really see that with the actors because the way that they portray their characters is so real. And you can tell that they're not digging for the emotion. It's already there. Um, a couple other things. I don't know if you knew this. The first scene involving the intro scene with all the little home video is actually shot on a handheld camera. It is not with... Um, state-of-the-art equipment and they wanted to do it to kind of have this you know uh home edition type video kind of like the paranormal activity documentary type little vibe and it's 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 a little hard to see um but i thought that was a cool fact that i did during the research uh the fight scene took over um a dozen takes to make it was 12 times that they had to basically do the majority of the dialogue for that. And I think we can agree that each of those 12 takes made this scene even way more better. Um, what are your thoughts? I guess we can get a touch on this, but do you actually know where the song that Adam Driver sang comes from? Because I actually did not know this either. Yeah, yeah it's from, um, I haven't actually seen it, but I know it's from a musical called Company. Yes. Um, I, I think actually the um, there were two songs in the movie from Company. There were two songs from the same musical um i i don't remember what exactly. I, I don't remember the, i don't remember the second one but the being alive is from company from a 1970 yeah. broadway play yes it was being alive and it was that song that nicole was singing with her mother and her sister at that one party wow i didn't know that oh my yeah, god that's also from company oh another yeah. f- a cool, cool fun fact there well the yeah. thing that said to me about being alive i do not know if you know this but it was shot in one take adam driver sang that in one shot i don't think you can make it any better than that so <laughs> Yeah, that's insane. Um, a couple other fun facts. Um, the scene in Charlie's apartment, everything was scripted. Every single little detail was scripted, which I actually think made it better. I feel like sometimes the problem with improvisation is that 
when you go a little bit too much off the rails, it kind of does, it can lead to an upside of screwing up. I think for once in this, I think, I don't know if you're agreeing with me here, but I think for once having it basically scripted almost by the word made the fight seem better because they can kind of go in with the minds of how they wanted to portray it, and then they can allow the characters to branch off emotionally, but not dialogue wise. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before, but it's th- I think that's definitely true that you don't want the the actors really going off too much because if you give them too much free reign, they will bring up a whole lot of things. <laughs> but um, I think that it was it was good that it was scripted because there was a very specific issues that they brought up during that fight scene and the way that it was framed and the way that it, that everything was worded was really important um, because... I mean, they've been known, they had these issues, but the problem now is how they're wording it. So I guess that is a good thing. And the other thing that you speak of with the wording is that there's no hesitation. It, what makes it realistic is that it's almost as like if they're speaking right off their mind. They're not doing it. They're not, the improv makes it where they're kind of thinking off the spot. Whereas if you're in a divorce situation, and again, another minute detail of why I love this movie. If you're in a divorce situation, you've got these ideas, you know, like bullet pointed, you know, highlighted, underlined in the back of your mind. And they point that they make that really evidently clear in this scene for sure. Um, a couple other things. Um, the final scene. Do you want to guess the number of how many times it took to film the uh, last scene? Oh, I have no idea. You're gonna have to tell me. Seventy six times. There were seventy six takes to film uh, that the director filmed in order to get that final scene nailed to a sign. And I think again, with how we both perceived it, it was a really, it was definitely worth all the takes for sure. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, fun, so I guess a little unanswered question here. I don't know if this is conspiracy or not, but in the fight scene, you know how there's a juice box that Adam Driver has or Charlie has? So yep. the juice box is, a, according to the director, supposed to symbolize the son's presence in their lives and that he's on the one hand, which again, like totally, this is the conspiracy mode here. So on the one hand, it's like the son is still in their lives but on the other hand, he can't do anything about what the parents are doing. Like, so the parents are arguing, but the kid either doesn't even understand or can't even do anything about it. And that one, when I read that, that thing kicked my butt because people who have gone through that know that you kind of feel like that at times too. There's like this, it, there's nothing you can do but just sit back and watch. There is no way to prevent it. There's no way to make it any better. You kind of just have to let it happen. And I think if you're, especially with uh, Henry in this scene, he... Part of it's like, he's not, as you point out, he's not really mature yet to understand it. On the other hand, though, it's not that he can do anything much anyway if he was, you know, 15, 7, 9, or 11, or whatever he is. Yeah, and I think throughout some of the scenes in the movie, you see Henry start to mature and start to understand a little bit when he says, you know, some things like, well, we can have two of it, it's okay, like, I, I won't be upset, like, we can have two... Um, holidays or whatever and, and, and that kind of stuff and you can tell that he's trying but in the end he really can't do anything but that's that's very interesting about the the, the juice box that's i did not know that but that's very symbolic and then one last thing which i kind of hinted at earlier but they go into a bit more detail it's an article i found so for the scene for the what about what i love about you scenes again all shot on handheld cameras the idea behind it was that it's supposed to quote highlight the ordinary moments that often go unnoticed during a day but are pointed out by someone you love Dear God, if there's any other way to describe that, please let me know, because that's about as spot on as you can get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, wow, yeah, the way that those letters, like you said, the way that those letters are, are worded and the way that they're written, it shows 
how they fell in love with each other because it's not about you know well they're caring and they're well a lot of people are caring you know but it shows the little details that make them stay connected throughout this whole process it's an absolute like butt kicker for sure that that when i read that that was just nuclear for sure that was that's a rough one Um, so we we're almost out of time here. We have like three or four more minutes left here. Just some final thoughts on this movie. Um, first off, would you rewatch it again? Which I think we're going to go with an undisputed yes. And second off, where would you put it on your pantheon of, you know, all time movies that you've seen? Is it toward the top? Is, you know, a top five, if you had to do one off the top of your head, where do you think if like all that sort of stuff, just what are some final thoughts on this movie to kind of wrap it up here? Yeah, so when I watch it again, right now, absolutely not. I am not emotionally prepared. <laughs> I'm going to have to take a break. <laughs> but that's just for my... <laughs> so I got to ask this right now. What's the over-under on Times Cried during this movie the first time you saw it? Because mine was about six. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I think my first time was about six. Second time was about three. I don't think it's gone below three. <laughs> yeah, but I think, think ranking-wise... Um, I'm not sure if it would be in my my top top of all time, but I think top um, movies that really emotionally scarred you. Um, <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> definitely up there in in that category. Um, and I gotta I gotta ask uh, I guess like one final question here. What's a what's your final takeaway from this movie after like watching it again for like you know the first time in a little bit, doing the whole run through you know really d- deep diving. What's your big takeaway from this film? Um, I really think that the the big point that they were trying to get across that you really felt is that there is no black and white and there is no, you know, right person or wrong person or any of that in in any kind of familiar familial relationship, Um, because you can want different things, but still be good people, you know, and you can you see that with Charlie and Nicole and Henry, um, that they just want different things. There's no black and white. There's no thing that one person is doing wrong um it's just a lot of complications and complexity in their relationships because they don't want the same thing yeah well that's an excellent way to put it Nardine. uh thank you so much for joining this pod uh, obviously your third pod definitely want to have you on for more of these film things uh especially with your expertise and you know uh you always seem to do very well in these so thank you for uh, joining the pod once again yeah of course thank you for having me